0: church. I want to thank Matt for that because now I know what it feels like when I go off script, right? <laughs> Like That scripture is not what he just said. Yeah, it is great to see you all tonight. Tonight, uh, um, I'm thankful that you know, we could have used uh, two excuses uh, and said, hey, you know, it's snowing outside, uh, so we need to stay home uh, and the Super Bowl's on, so we need to stay home, but you chose to come. So God bless you for coming tonight, for attending Uh, to worship uh, our God this evening together. Let's go to God in prayer, please. O great God, magnificent and mighty King, hallowed be your great and amazing name. We praise you, we love you, and we thank you so, so very much for all that you've done and for all that you do and for your mercy and for your care and for your matchless grace. Help us, please, to focus uh, this evening in our worship on Jesus and on Jesus alone. It's in His name we do pray and thank Thee to be Thy will. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. You know, when you read the Bible, you realize something about faith. We're still talking about doubting a little bit. You realize something about faith, and that is, you know God actually expects us to have faith? He doesn't just say, you know, have faith and believe. He actually expects us to have faith and believes that we will. So Hebrews eleven and verse six, a very familiar passage. It says, "And without faith, it's impossible to please him." So on one hand, I'm saying that, "Oh God, I, I, I you know, I want to please you, and I want to glorify your name, and I want to make you happy." And I, but then I have no faith, or well, I have little faith. So that means I'm not pleasing God. God is is wanting us to re- remember that He's in charge, right? He's got this under control. He's got us. Right? He loves us. He's got this. He knows what he's doing. And he's going to do the right thing. He always has done the right thing. And he will always do the right thing. So without faith, he says, it's impossible to please me. It's, for the man that comes to God, must come to God um, and believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him or diligently seek him. And so walking to Jesus and coming to Jesus in faith... God says, I've given you enough evidence. Why don't you have faith? Look at James. James chapter 1. Someone says, God, give us wisdom to know how to make these decisions or or do the right thing. And God says, okay, when you ask me that question, don't doubt me. Listen to what he says. Verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. For let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Wait, that's me? And then he says, For let not that man expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord. God says, okay, are you doubting me? You're asking me for wisdom. I'm giving you the wisdom, but you're doubting that I'm going to do this for you? Then I'm not going to give it to you. Don't even expect me to give it to you. God expects us to have faith based on the evidence that he's already given us, already provided for us. It goes on in verse 7, For let not that man expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. He expects it from us. And in Acts 17, verse 11, the Bereans are more noble-minded than everyone else. And what do they do? I want you to think about this for just a moment. Um, it would be one thing if you had just a, an average uh, uh, preacher like myself, someone that comes up there and he's going to preach, you okay, we're going to listen, so we should investigate to make sure that what Tony's saying is right and true. And you should. But this was Paul, the inspired man of God. And the Bereans, verse uh, 11, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily, to see whether these things were so. And so uh, it wasn't that Paul could come and just preach. They examined even the apostle to make sure that his message was right and that his message was true. God expects us to have faith. Now listen to what Luke has done. Luke chapter 1. When Luke writes, Luke says to this man named Theophilus, he says to this man that, I am writing to you things so that you can walk away without any doubting. Okay? Okay? beginning of verse 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as those who, from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, have handed them down to us, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out to you in consecutive order, O most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the exact truth about the things you've been taught. So did Jesus do all the things he said he'd he done? Did, is Jesus really who he says he is? Read the book of Luke. Luke says, I, I have eyewitnesses. I have got, given you the exact truth. And on top of that, I'm inspired. Right? An inspired writer of God. Look at Acts. He tells us the acts of the apostles and what they did or what they went through. And Luke writes to us, Sometimes when you read through the book of Luke, you, he'll say, and they. They did this, and they did that. And then he'll say, and we. And so he's traveling with them. And so he also becomes an eyewitness. But the first verse 1, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive. After his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so he says, I've written to you. I've, I've this stuff I'm giving you, this account that I've composed for you, I didn't just grab it out of the sky. I've investigated it, just like the first account that he writes uh, from the book of Luke. So then, in Hebrews 11 and verse 1, when God talks to us about faith, He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, God has given to us everything we need to believe, right? To believe by some of it by faith. Others, we believe because of the simple facts and the evidence that's out there. The miracles, we believe by faith. We say, well, I wasn't there. I didn't see it, but it's written. And when it's written, I just believe it because it's in the Bible. Here's something that's important. As Christians, we get to that point where we don't believe because we just want to believe. We believe in the Scriptures, we believe in God because we have so much solid evidence. It's impossible for this book to not be true; it's an absolute impossibility. And you know, we can go down the whole chain of, uh, of um, uh, you know, all the things that we've found to be true that exist to this day. That there is no way the writers at that time could have known. The things that they wrote about except god gave it to them so this evidence that god has given to us is enough so jesus they have said i want you to just you know you may already know this but there's only about 50 days of the life of jesus that's actually recorded in the bible as far as one incident to the next to the next to the next day etc cetera, etc cetera. and then john says, oh and by the way john 20 uh, in verse 30 many other signs Therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So, he gave us the most uh, effective. God gave us exactly what we'll need and need it from generation to generation until he comes back. In verse 21, it says, But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So many other things Jesus did many other signs, many other miracles Jesus performed. In John 21, in verse 24, this is the disciple who bears witness of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his witness is true. Witnessing was so important, right? It's important today. Today, if you go to the, the judge and, and you're going to plead a case or something, you don't have any witnesses, you don't have any evidence, you have no case. And so John says, hey, I also am a witness of the things that I uh, have written. And verse 25 says. And there are also many other things. Which Jesus did. Which they were written in detail. I suppose that even the world itself. Would not contain the books. Which were written in it. And So God expects us. To shake off. Our lack of faith. Right. And our, and our children sometimes struggle. When they go off to college. And they start hearing different things. Different, different ideas and their faith becomes shaken. Many of our children fall away. Our colleges ought not do that to our children. But the idea behind it is someone can bring to us something that uh, isn't true. As, as God's people, we're supposed to be able to decipher that and understand what is true. The evidence is right in front of us. So we're going to pick up uh, where we left off uh, last week with the evidence being right in front of us. John 17, 17 sanctify them in truth for thy word is truth. God has given us the truth. Now either, either God gave us the truth or God's a liar. You've got to make that decision today. Because there is no other. Right? Either he gave us the truth or God is a liar. And we know that God has given us the truth. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 16. So why in the world do we find ourselves as God's people uh, in the world of doubt? And, and I'll tell you, maybe uh, one of those reasons is because we forget. Right? I mean, you, you can't. the Bible is one of those books. You, you, you pick it up and you read it. And if you don't read it again and again and again and memorize the accounts that you're reading about and then rehearse it over and in your mind over and over again, you'll forget right? You'll forget. You've got you to stay in this book. You have to read it and read it and then read it some more. And, re- and it gro- It's a living book. It's living and it's active and it, and it fills us up and it gives us more and more and more. It's not a dead book where you read it once and you go, you know, and then the, they live happily ever after. That's, that's, just not, that's not the Bible. The Bible is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so it's a living book. You've got to keep reading it because it keeps growing our faith. And it challenges us as well. So we forget when we stop reading. We just forget. So the apostles are with Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 16. We'll begin at um, verse 7. They were discussing among themselves. What does Jesus mean by this leaven? Right, Uh, Watch out for the leaven of Herod. Well, verse 7. And they began to discuss among themselves saying, It is because we took no bread. But Jesus answered, uh, aware of this rather, said... You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? I don't need bread. What? And he says, listen, did you not remember or do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? So 5,000 men, and let's say they're, you know, close to that number of women. Let's just say 4,000 women. And then each of them have two. That's a lot of people. And you're, you're arguing about bread? And you're saying, oh, we forgot the bread. I don't need bread, right? That's what he, Did you forget? And the problem is, yeah, they, they forgot. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? Or the last time you were on an airplane and you flew somewhere, Thousands of miles away and then you came home Or the last time you got into your vehicle And you drove from point A to point B And you home safe right? Or this morning when you woke up And God put the breath of life inside of you And you got up Did we forget? Yeah, you know every first day of the week What does God say? Do this and remember Why? Because we'll forget A week, Lord? That's all you're giving us credit for? Yeah, just a week <laughs> Just a week Do this every single week so that you will not forget me. And do, And he says as often as you drink this. Some months have five Sundays. Some months have four Sundays. You know, there's sometimes I'm sick. You know, you're sick. But whenever you partake of this, remember me. Do not forget. Because forgetting will cause doubt. Right? Go back to Deuteronomy for just a moment. Uh, in chapter 4, God is talking to his people through Moses. And he's trying to remind them of something they've got to remember. And that is, don't forget isn't that funny? He reminds them of something they've got to remember. And what I want you to remember is, don't forget. right? So my wife knows if I forget, she's supposed to tell me. And if she forgets, I'll tell her. right? So remember the things that God wants us to remember. And don't or do not forget. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 9. Only give heed to yourselves and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget. So look at the word diligence, right? Diligently do this. That means you've got to do this on a regular and a continual basis. All of us. Because we're going to forget if we don't, right? We've got to do this consistently and constantly. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things which your eye has seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. And it's amazing what he says That you will forget. You will forget what your own eyes saw. What? How can I forget what I saw? You will forget, church. We will forget what our own eyes saw. What we believe to be true. What we know to be true. And then he says in verse 10, Remember, remember the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horab, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words so they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children remember the law and you guys saw the mountain trembling and you were terrified don't forget what you saw you got to keep it diligently close to your heart if you don't you'll forget right you ever done that you ever walked in the room and you go in and go ah why did I come in here Right? And you walk back out of the room to figure out why you walked into the room. You ever done that? You just forget. We just forget. It's not just old age. We just, we just forget. I think we have to give some credit to Satan. He might help us a little bit. There's so much con- confusion and congestion in the world that maybe we forget because there's just so much. Well, here's what's important. The Word of God. Right? When you go into the promised land, God gives these these uh, bits of information. And he says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I want to begin in verse 11. Watch what happens when we become comfortable. Beware, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, And when your herds and your flock multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Be careful lest you forget. Matthew 19, please. Remember the question that the apostles asked we, we talked about this last week. Uh, who can make it into heaven? You know, who can make it into heaven? We ask that same question. People ask that question often. And God will God forgive me? Can God forgive me? Who can make it into heaven? And so let's, let's think about the impossible things that God is able to do. In Matthew 19, beginning at verse 23, And Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I say to you, It is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, well, then who can be saved? None of us without God, right? None of us. But he he gave them the answer And he says, looking upon them, Jesus said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You do realize, we know this, that without Jesus, it's absolutely impossible for any of us to be saved, for any human being to ever go to heaven without Jesus. Absolutely impossible. Not just the rich, not the poor, all of us. So God makes impossible things possible. And that's what God did. Luke chapter 1, please. Sometimes we forget, and I hear people even saying that, well, I know I'm going to make it to heaven based on this. If it's not based on grace, if it's not based on God's mercy, then we're all in trouble, right? That has to be the this. He makes impossible things possible. And so when you look over at uh, Jesus, and the proclamation of the birth of Jesus to come. In verse 36 of Luke chapter 1, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now with her, in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. Don't forget that. So when someone asks the question, you know, they say, well, I don't know how, you know, you believe that God flooded the whole earth. Well, I don't know how God make all this in six days. They don't worry about trying to figure it out. You'll never figure it out. My friend, your brain's not big enough. Let it go. Right? Just let it go. Well, you know, I just believe in science. Now, see, now you got a problem because now you're trying to talk about things you don't even understand. Just let it go. Right? Let it go. And let the God who does the impossible, do what he does. In verse 38, and we don't have to explain it away either, right? And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It just, last week, it just makes sense, right? The order that God, everything God does is, it just makes sense. And here's something though, that that makes sense, but it's a tough verse to read. And it's in 2 Peter chapter 3. What makes sense is that there is something that the God who makes the impossible possible, there is something that the God who who makes the impossible possible, there's some things He cannot do. And that is He cannot take away your free will. And He will not take away our free will. And sadly, what that means is that many people are not going to go to heaven. So you might say, well, God, just take away my free will. But God will not take away our free will. And God will not get his own will. Jesus said, thy will be done. But there's something that God's will is not going to be strong enough for. It's sad. And it says in verse 9, speaking of God. The Lord is not slow about his promises or slack about his promise, as some, as some think, as some, as some count to be slow. But this is what God is. God is patient towards you. Not wishing or willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. In other words, what God is saying is, I want everybody to be saved. I want the whole world to be saved, good, bad, and ugly. I want them all to be saved. But sadly, even God will not get His will done in that sense regarding salvation. And it's because God has given us a free will. So you know what God had to do? Go to Romans, please, chapter 4. Here's something that God had to do to not take away our free will, but to gift us salvation even though we in no way, shape, or form deserve it. He had to justify us or reckon it unto us or count it as good or count it as righteousness. And he wrote it to us in Romans chapter 4 beginning at verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh has found? For if Abraham was justified by works he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And when you go back and read the account of Abraham's belief, was it not Abraham who fell down on his face and laughed at God? Later he came to believe and accept the will of God. Was it not Abraham who his wife was not pregnant at that point in time, down facing Abimelech, said, Say you're my sister, because if you don't, they're going to kill me and take you as their wife. But Abraham, she's not pregnant yet, so that can't possibly happen. She hasn't given birth to a child yet, so that can't possibly happen. You see, what God did was, God took Abraham's faith, and he made it acceptable because it was filled with flaw. You know the consistency is? That our our righteous deeds are filthy rags. Right? So we need all the help that we can get from God. And so this is what keeps us humble in our service to the Lord because we truly, desperately need our God. And even when I bring my absolute best, my absolute best still isn't good enough. Even though I exert all of my energy into doing what God wants me to do, it still is a filthy rag. That's the separation between God and man. God is so far past us that we'll never reach Him. In verse 22, he gives it to us. And he says, Therefore also it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So God gave us what we need. God gave us what we needed. God gave us something to keep us going so when you say preacher you know uh, that, that sermon you presented it wasn't good enough I'll say only only to God was it good enough because God reckoned it because it was in the truth it was in spirit and it was in truth well you know when you go to the saint you go saint, you're not living good enough pick it up yes encourage the brethren to pick it up encourage the brethren who are faithful to live better lives for Jesus Maybe you say, I'm not very good at coming to the pulpit and, and bringing, uh, you know, some kind of oration about the Lord. Well, just come up here and teach the truth and let God do his work, right? Let God reckon it unto you as, well, I'm not talking about the unfaithful. Don't, I don't want you to walk away and think I'm talking about that. But when you serve God, serve God with all of your heart and all of your energy and all of your mind, when you love God, you know how short our love falls for God? our love falls so short for God, and yet God even has to reckon or justify the love that we have for Him. But you give God all that you can muster up within your heart and within your mind and within your soul and within your heart. And let God do the justifying. Let God do the reckoning as He did in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1. Joshua the high priest stands before God and Satan came with him and old Satan had this list saying, that man is guilty of sin. And God said, I know. But to me, he's innocent. Because God sees the blood of Jesus when he sees us. I just keep repeating that because I want you to hear that time and time again. Verse 25 says, He who was delivered up because of our transgression and was raised because of our justification. So we're justified by grace. Thank you, God, for that. First John chapter 2. God wants his children to do something that is tough. I don't know if it's tough for you, but it, it, it's tough for me. And, and that is to, um, to come to God with confidence. Now, I'll tell you where the tough part is. It's not tough for me to come to God with confidence when I come in the name of Jesus and through the blood of Jesus. But I sure can't go to God by myself. I need all the help I can get. So 1 John says in in chapter 5, in verse 14, And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we shall ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Does he? People have asked me this. Faithful Christians have said to me, I am not sure if God is listening to me anymore. 1 John 5 says, God is listening. You've got to come to him with confidence. Not arrogance, but confidence to know that when I pray to God, God listens to me, not because of me, but because of Jesus. Right. Hebrews chapter 10. And that's where my confidence lies. My confidence does not lie in me, my confidence lies in Jesus. And so when you find yourself doubting your faith, and you're wondering, you know, you're wondering and thinking about God hearing you. Look to Jesus. Stop looking to yourself. Hebrews 10 and verse 35, uh, the text says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith... And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. God expects us to live righteous lives. God expects us to have this confidence through Jesus Christ. God expects us to have faith. In verse 39 it says, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now I want you to just, let's take this one step deeper. We're going to 1 John chapter 2. Read that same scripture in light of the Roman army. And um, they're knocking on your door. And they're going to ask you the, the great question. Are there any Christians in here? How do you answer that? Where's your confidence? in Jesus. See, it might not turn out the way that I hoped it would. Number one, I wish he wouldn't come. But they came. And then I might end up dying for this. Maybe I wish I wouldn't die. And you go through all that in your brain, and your mind, and you think about it, and the Romans are still knocking on the door. How do you answer? How do you respond to that Roman? And that's what God is talking about. You've got to have your confidence in Jesus, that He'll take care of you. And what that means is God will do the right thing at that moment and at that hour. That's for them. What about for us? What about for us? Some of us, some Christians. I don't know who. Have a hard time saying a prayer in a public place. Why? Where's your confidence? Where's that confidence in Jesus? Or say a quick prayer. Or or pray with your eyes open so no one knows you're praying. You know all the tricks of the trade, right? Where's our confidence? God expects us to have faith. 1 John 2 and verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him and shame at his coming. What does that remind you of? Remember Adam, Adam and Eve? They'd heard God, the voice of God, in the cool of the day. And what did they do? They hid themselves because of their shame. Church, if you don't, you don't repent of your sins, then yeah, we got to hide ourselves. If you, if you repent and confess, God is faithful. And so you can have confidence because of the blood of Jesus. We're not of those who, who hide because of shame. Because God has, God has made it right. God has justified us. Hebrews chapter 3. Stand up for Jesus. Stick with God. Don't give up. Stay true. Stay faithful. And like we said this morning, be inconvenienced, if that's what it's called. Allow yourself to be inconvenienced for God. In Hebrews 3 and verse 14, I mean I'll let you go. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. So notice in that text, you can't give up, right? can't reach back and say, oh God, look at how great I used to be. No, you have to keep going until you leave this earth. Right? Firm until the end. this says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt, led by Moses, they provoked God to anger verse 17 and with whom was he angry for forty years was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness and to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest but to those who were disobedient and so we that they were not able to enter because of unbelief belief are you doubting God are you doubting this whole religion thing? got a text today. The text says. At some point today, the text, <laughs> I got it. And it said, you know, I got to tell you, I'm being honest. I'm starting to wonder about this religion thing. You know, is God really true? I mean, I remember the church and I just, I'm starting to doubt whether or not God is real. They're not living here, so don't worry about it. And that's it. I'll go through an open dialogue and communicate with this individual as we've begun. Don't give up your faith. What would cause you? Maybe you ought to take inventory and ask yourself, what is it about God that you do not know, that you feel like you need to know in order to sustain your faith? And when you find that answer out, write that answer down. And what you can do is you can slip a note into my little box, and I'll preach a sermon on it, and I'll help you with that. How's that sound? If there's anything that's creating some kind of doubt in your mind, and you're going, well, maybe God doesn't exi- Maybe this whole thing isn't. Slip so me a note. I'll preach a sermon on it. And with the help of God, You will change your mind if you believe the Bible. I can only give you the Bible. I can't give you anything else. Pray for this individual because something has happened that has caused them to think about God in a different way. But what they fail to realize is just because your circumstances have changed, it doesn't change who God is. And sometimes we get mixed up with our understanding and we start blaming the church and God you know how people get angry at the church so they don't come back well why are you punishing God well you're really punishing yourself or we get angry at God for something that didn't go my way look life isn't going to go your way it's going to go God's way and if it goes God's way it went the right way and that's where I want to be tonight the lesson is yours if tonight you found that you're struggling in your faith if you're You found that there's doubt in your heart. If we can help in any way, let us know. We'll do the best we can. We'll pray. That's the start of it all. If we can be there for you. If you're not a Christian and you want to surrender to God, today's the day, now's the time. Surrender to God and give Him a chance to operate in your life. If we can help in any way, please stand while together we sing our song of invitation.